This episode of Social Jello is brought to you by Blueberry. I always say this, and then I always have to look it up. And someone actually complained about that last time. They said, Angelo, why is it that every time you do the ads, you take forever and you ramble and rant? It makes me not want to listen to your show. And I said, I'm really sorry, bro. I do it like that. But yeah, Blueberry, B-L-U-B-R-R-Y. B-L-U-B-R-R-Y dot com. That's where you can check out my podcast along with free internet radio. Also, I'm now on Player FM Series. That's at player.fm slash series slash podcast. Social Jello with Angelo. Um, it's also brought to you by the Kobe Fight Network. Fighting dates, fighting dates, fighting dates. I'm fighting, but I still don't know where. I'm fighting in Osaka on the 14th. Um, I'm doing a creation tournament i'd say match shii in japanese beats match um i'm gonna be fighting uh at 77 kilograms uh essentially it's mma they say it's pancreas pancreation but the pancreation rules in japan are the same as mma it's amateur so they're making me wear a helmet it's my first time fighting there i'm hoping to rank up if i if i win my first fight they'll put me in semi-pro and i don't have to wear this stupid helmet anymore i hate wearing a helmet when i fight it's stupid but safety first ladies and gentlemen safety firsts either way we're brought to you by this kobe fight network i'll be fighting for them on the 14th of may in osaka uh dates coming up i'll put up the venue when i sign the contract but i'm going right now hopefully that's kobe fight network at www.kobe-fighting.net. We train every Sunday, open to all levels of martial arts. If you're interested, you can see us at the Oji Sports Center. If you want more info on that, that's every Sunday at 7 o'clock at the Oji Sports Center next to Oji Zoo in Kobe, Japan. That's www.kobe-fighting.net. Um... So, this episode, I interview Matthew, Matthew Ward. Matthew Ward is an expat. He lives out here in Japan. He's also self-employed and an English teacher. He he shared some really great stuff. Um, I reached out to him because he wanted to tell me about his community. And uh, he had a lot of cool stuff to say about his community out uh, in... He lived off the islands of Washington State, um near the Orcas Islands and the Lopez area. He kind of talks about that later in the show. Really cool stuff. Um, Really interesting community. Uh, This is Matthew Ward. Hey, what's up, everyone? Uh, Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Social Jello with Angelo. Uh, as you, as I said earlier in the introduction, I'm talking to Matthew Ward. I have him on um, over, over, a, not Skype, but <laughs> I have him over the phone. It's a phone interview. Um, uh, first of all, Matthew, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, are you there, Matthew? No problem. <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Uh, real quick, I guess uh, if for for you listeners that follow me on my Facebook, um, I I uh, I reached out to Matthew after asking the question about hunting. Um, the question I had, I, at first I asked if there was any hunters on my Facebook, and also if there was any progressive, you know, people that lean towards progressive or, or liberal that 
that um, that hunted in the past or hunt um, now, and I ended up talking to Matthew about it. And you were saying that you you no longer that you used to hunt. Um, when you where did you live? You you were hunting where? Um, I live in it's kind of an important point. Yeah, I live in this unusual. I came from an unusual community, the San Juan Islands in Washington State. And it's a very rural island community, but it happens to be an extremely liberal part of an extremely liberal state. Um, and when I was growing up teens and early 20s, a lot of people hunted. My family hunted. Uh, I was not a big hunter myself. I'm kind of a bad shot, but it was a lifestyle I grew up in and I participated in. So, and What kind of game, what kind of game were they hunting? Uh, basically, the island has deer and rabbits. Uh, people hunt duck and other birds to a certain extent, but deer and rabbits are the big ones. All right, all right. And um, one of the things that that comes up on, on these topics, uh, when, especially when it comes to hunting, is a lot of um, a lot of self-identified liberals or even progressives, for lack of a better term will jump in and they feel that that hunting is more of a uh i don't know conservative thing to do I, I can't even think of the of the label but they kind of associate hunting uh with a few stereotypes such as um such as being a redneck or or uh someone who just enjoys sadistically um killing animals and um, and they they argue that the, the this whole idea of of it being part of bioconservation has nothing to do with it, and it has to do with just people that like to pretty much shoot guns and kill shit. Uh, what do you think about that? Um, well, I think I, I definitely am familiar with that stereotype. Um, I think that people who fit that stereotype exist, but I think it's a big overgeneralization. Um, and I I guess. You know, I'm a lot more open when I'm talking to vegetarians and vegans. I mean, I think hunting does have problems, but um, when it's people who eat meat, I mean, that meat comes from somewhere. And so I think that um, especially when you're dealing with people who are hunting for food specifically, uh, and maybe even more so when you come from an area where uh, there are environmental issues with animals overpopulating uh, things like that, then there's a whole other kind of realm as to why people might want to hunt. Yeah, yeah. And I know recently um, the Trump administration just... Uh, I know they opened up hunting in Alaska recently. Did you hear about this? Uh, no, I haven't been following that. They're, they were saying that they recently are, are allowing... Uh, they're 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 expanding some laws that were that were out there for Alaska for brown bear and also for wolves. Oh yeah, I think I have heard about wolves, and I have to say, uh, I'll be honest, I'm uh, not. I mean, I'm not completely close-minded toward if it was a situation where you know it was a, a ranch or something, you know, trying to protect their their property. But I'm, I'm not uh, not very open-minded about hunting wolves. But, uh, <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> a lot of different different things, and uh, but yeah, I think I did hear about the wolf thing. I think I saw some kind of outrage uh, about it from some somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw. I, I've I've seen. Um, I always see out. It's interesting because I'm I'm looking for a balanced article on the, on the on the topic. Um, I'll probably put one on the notes, 
but a lot of the stuff I've seen is just kind of pl playing towards emotion. Um, they're saying that they're going to allow people to shoot hibernating bears while they're sleeping. Um, I, again, I, I don't, I'm not sure how many of these claims are substantiated, which is why I don't want to, uh, I don't want to regurgitate that information. I'm going to put up an, uh, an article about what they're actually allowing and what they're not allowing. But, um, it sounds like a good idea. I mean, I think that I can understand that a lot of the problem with hunting comes from, and people hear about things like, for example, bear baiting. I mean, I, again, I grew up with hunters and, and I, I think whether they're left wing or right wing hunters, a lot of people would agree that that's really un uh, sportsmanlike. Um, and you know, there's, there's a lot of good reasons against hunting bears in general, but, um, you know, it's, you obviously have to get information because the internet can have all kinds of you know stuff that's not true. But hey, you, I'm sorry, you were saying bear baiting. Bear baiting, yeah. Well, what's what's bear baiting? Um, that's something we we banned in Washington State, and I, I wish I could describe it to you better, but I think it involves like people hunting bears, and they're like in kind of a blind or something, and you put food, and the bear comes up, and you shoot it. Oh. So you're it it's it's just like. It's something that, that that's too. I don't know. Uh, it, 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 I guess I, I remember there was a big controversy about it, but it was it was something that was considered to be like the, the bears were just kind of walking into a trap. So oh, okay, okay. So but, but to be honest, I, I guess my knowledge about that's low now that you bring it up. So maybe I'm not the best source about that. That's no, okay. I'll, I'll probably whenever I hear a term I, I um I'm not familiar yeah. with, I just. What yeah, I do is I grab it and I, I put it in my notes and I research it and I include it in an article attached to the podcast. So for my the listeners, thing I can say about bear baiting is it something that even a lot of hunters don't like. Mm -hmm. uh, so should be an interesting issue. Cool. Um, and maybe in my perception, from what I hear, it's the kind of thing maybe hunters feel like this is the kind of thing that gives hunters a bad name. So you were saying about your background. Yeah, uh, well, actually, I wanted to talk about the community a little bit because it kind of explains hunting there. Um, so you have these islands, as I said, like uh, the big part of hunting is deer and rabbit. Um, and my understanding is if you went back to those islands 200 years ago, uh, the rabbits weren't there. They were introduced, but the deer were there. But at that time, they had wolves. And uh, so obviously the deer had a predator. And um, I don't know when the wolves went extinct on those islands, but I think it was like the late 1800s or something. Um, uh, they had been inhabited by kind of, um, there's some Native Americans there, but they tended to have like camps uh, on the beaches and things like that. It wasn't really, most of the island wasn't populated, but um, so when the white settlers came, you know, it's a typical thing. They uh, didn't want the wolves around. They killed the wolves. Um, so you had deer without predators, um, and that leads to a situation where if um, you just let the deer be, they overpopulate, and every so often there gets to be too many. You see they get really hungry, they're thin, um, they're kind of dying out from disease and hunger. Um, so I think that's one of the influences, just the reality of a situation where um, you can argue it might be more cruel to just leave them alone. And you were saying um, that you were saying that they can get diseases. 
Well, just I, I, my understanding, and I'm not, I'm not really very knowledgeable about this, but when a population of animals is overpopulated and hungry, then they get sickly. Um, so you have a lot of deer. Yeah, maybe it's just the hunger, but they, you can, you can actually see during certain times, certain years, the deer, if you see one, they tend to look kind of, yeah, hungry and not very well. Okay. Uh, so one justification is just that you're in a situation where humans are the only viable predator left. Um, now, the other interesting thing is that these islands were mostly, you know, kind of rural American communities. I don't know if they were particularly, quote unquote, redneck, but they were kind of just typical country people. But in, uh, especially in the 70s, also in the 80s and so on, but especially in the 70s, a lot of people started moving to those islands from the city. It was kind of a back to the land kind of hippie movement. That's where my family came from, although my mother does have roots in those islands. It's a lot older than that. Um, and it was kind of moving back there. And when we moved up there, we were vegetarian. Oh. Um, and we wanted to grow our food and all that. And we, we weren't strict vegetarians. We, we ate eggs and milk and stuff. So Okay, we so were you, weren't, you weren't, you weren't the, the, like the, you weren't vegan, right? Like, I, w- I was never vegan. No. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, they so call you, them, I think it's lacto-ovo vegetarians. Lacto meaning like milk, ovo meaning eggs. Oh. Um, so yeah, a lot of vegans would say we're not vegetarians, but we didn't eat meat, we didn't eat fish, we didn't eat chicken. Well, I think that's the kind of the difference between vegan though and vegetarian. I, I, I have a hard time wrapping my head <laughs> around. I, I know there's pescatarian, vegetarian, and vegan, and um, with with vegans being the self-proclaimed purists of of, of the groups in between the three. Um, yeah, that's probably accurate. So, um, so yeah, for, for, for my, my, my personal opinion is I, I, you know, I respect, I respect anyone's dietary choices as long as their dietary choices don't come on me. I'm cool. <laughs> yeah. My point of view is I really respect veganism and vegetarianism as a practice, um, as a philosophy, it often gets pretty, um, well, I don't want to get into that too much, but it can get pretty, um, there's a lot of scientific denial. Humans aren't naturally supposed to eat meat and, you know, you have to go really far back to get to that point. So, yeah. And even uh, like that, that I've heard that argument before also that, that some of them argue, like you said, the science denial uh, aspect and, 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 I, and I gotta give, I have to, I don't, I don't, I try not to speak in generalization, so I'm not speaking for every vegan or, or vegetarian that I've talked to. I've met plenty of people that are, that are not science deniers, but I have met a few of them that, um, that have that argument where, where they say that humans were never intended to eat meat, in which, um, there's just not a lot of, I, I, I have yet to see a lot of scientific evidence to show a, a period of time when humans weren't evidence to the contrary yeah. if you talk about going back like half a million years you know there were human ancestors that were mostly um mostly vegetarian but we obviously evolved as omnivorous animals which doesn't mean we have to eat meat i mean the modern yeah. lifestyle you can't make dietary choices that work out but um but i just yeah that's an example of an argument i'm not i don't like any kind of scientific denial but what I understand about veganism and vegetarianism, the two things I agree with is that it can be better for the environment, uh, especially like for producing greenhouse gases. Beef is really bad. 
And number two, that it reduces animal cruelty. And yes, there's a lot of cruelty in the animal meat industries. Um, but what I find interesting is like in an island like where I was growing up, both of those arguments are kind of negated because number one, I mean, it's obviously if you have animal overpopulation, it's not good for the environment. Um, and also, you know, if you're saying, well, the moral choice is between shooting and eating animals or letting them starve, well, that's a, a lot more complex than just, you know, it's bad to kill animals. So um, I think that's the kind of thing people, people kind of leave out. But anyway, as I was saying, when my family went up there, we were vegetarian. And one thing that happens, we started raising chickens for eggs and, and goats for milk. But we quickly realized, well, if you do that, you're going to get unique babies to keep it sustainable. And some of those babies are, half of them are going to be male. And little male chickens and goats aren't really good for very much. If you, I mean, you can have like a few of them, but if you have a lot of them, then they just eat your food and they're not going to make milk. They're not going to make eggs. And uh, my mother was talking about this to me recently. She was saying, yeah, you know, we, we, we said, okay, well, we can slaughter these animals and give them to the neighbors that eat meat. But what's the point? You know, why not just eat them ourselves? But then you had people who were growing, we were trying to grow all of our own food. We never really succeeded with that, but we grew a lot of it. And we had gardens and the deer come into the gardens and they start eating your food. And it's like, well, you want to live this vegetarian lifestyle, but you can't because of these animals. Mm. So uh, then again, you know, it's the kind of thing where I've actually, I think I still know people who will shoot the deer in their garden and well, I don't eat meat, you know, the neighbors will happily eat it. And, but um, I think the whole community, all the kind of liberal hippie types, started kind of getting open-minded hmm. about this, this kind of thing because it just it seemed like it didn't really fit very well to pretend that you could just not mess with the animals at all. Because they'll mess with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and not, yeah, well, and not, not, not just not not like a they're messing with us revenge aspect. It was just like you said. There's it's it's. In, in the community that you came from, it's an island. The deer are overpopulating. The deer, there's not enough food for the deer. They're, they're, they're skinny. They're dying out themselves because there's too many of them. And, um, and they're coming on to your property and you're trying to live a vegetarian lifestyle. They're eating your vegetables, um, destroying your crops. And... At one point, since you're on, especially really specific to your case being on an island, it's not like you can trap the deer and re-release it into the wild in another area because it's just going to come back. Yeah, it's not big enough, really. <laughs> you put it over in your neighbor's land. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> That's your problem now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's not really another way around it. I mean, I think a really like vegan perspective would say, well, humans are the problem. Humans got rid of the wolves. You know, uh, humans are trying to live in this space. But, you know, we're, we're here in this world. And, and uh, I do think that there are examples, of, you know, pretty destructive examples of hunting. But um, there it just, you know, if it was a stereotype, well, you're just mean killing animals. Um, uh, I, I just think that misses a lot of the moral complexity. And I had a girlfriend when I was uh, in my early 20s who was actually from a smaller island, um, really nice person. Her family was really conservative, but um, and they were had no problem with hunting, but she was kind of the rebel of the family and into Greenpeace and stuff like that. But I remember her telling me, you know, because she knew I had deer hunted, and she's like, oh, that's really mean, but, you know, she would eat meat. And, and so it's like, well, you know, you're, if you're getting beef from the store, you know, that cow was probably raised in some little tiny space and, 
you know, was probably clubbed to death or something. And, and, and so I'm not really sure, you know, how it's, that's better than killing a deer that's getting on your land and eating it and preventing overpopulation. No, no, that's, I mean, like, well, I, I haven't, I haven't watched the documentary, but I heard a lot about, um, I saw parts of it. A lot of the videos that were running around the internet, um, came from that, uh, that, that documentary called Food Inc. And I think I saw the beginning of it, but yeah, a lot of the, a lot of that documentary kind of shows how the farming industry in these huge, com like these huge farming industries, huge companies are mass slaughtering animals and, um, and their conditions are completely inhumane. Um, they, they, you know, they have, they, they, it's, it's, it's really hard to, to justify that they are living a life from what you see in these videos, like. They're pretty much in a really small, small cages, what it seems like to be, and um, and they and they go through all kinds of different industries, from from beef to to chicken, and they kind of show you the behind the scenes. It became a little too much for me at the end of it, but um, a lot of the videos that I've seen online are are coming from that kind of argument. That um, that's another thing that hunting has is, like you said, the animal that you're that you're hunting down and you're killing and you're eating. Um, it lived a completely free life. Uh, it, it was never, it was never held in captivity. Um, you know, if you look at the living conditions of a wild animal when compared to to an animal that's being farmed, it's it's completely different. Yeah, exactly. Very different. Yeah, I have to say just in other things that I, other thoughts I've had that are kind of along this line. I mean, I, I, I when I was a lot younger, I lived in Thailand for a couple of years and. You go to these rural places and there'd be like a little tiny shack restaurant, you know, and, and they had chickens running around the backyard quite freely. And it'd be kind of like if you ordered something with chicken, they'd walk out back and, you know, chop off the head. Which, by the way, something I did as a kid, I raised chickens. And, but, you know, I, it, in a way I was kind of like, hey, this is a lot better, you know. I mean, I, I know that chicken was just running around the yard happily. And, um, you know, compared to like if it came from a store and maybe was raised in a little tiny cage, you know, yeah. there's a big difference there. And they pump them full of hormones too, right? Like, it's not just putting them in a cage. It's not just the fact that they're not free range. But this idea that they're, they're creating these mutant chickens that that are just they grow certain parts just to be that giant plump size they, they pump them full of hormones and the chickens can't even function like they can't they can't live like a normal chicken because they're 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 way bigger than they should be yeah i've, I've of course i've i've heard about that my knowledge is lower but yeah i mean obviously there's a, a lot of you hear a lot about hormones and meat and uh, to go slightly off topic, one thing I'm really interested in and kind of hopeful for is, um, you know, there, there's more and more information about meat being able to be raised like like grown in dishes and stuff like that. Yeah. And that might actually become affordable. And if it's edible, I think that that could really, even some of my vegan friends, some of the ones that aren't really hardcore, are going like, yeah, you know, this could really be good. Uh, it could save a lot of lives, you know. It's like you're not going to be too puristic about it. Like, this isn't an animal. Yeah. Um, it's it's actually you know so so if, if it if it results in um, animals not being raised in little cages it becomes a huge thing I mean I, I really um, think that maybe it's something a lot of people could get behind but um, so anyway yeah I, I mean obviously growing up um, 
I wasn't a very good shot, but I, this was kind of a weird thing that, you know, probably surprising. But I mean, I think my parents gave, like, let me have a gun when I was like 11 or something. <laughs> what kind of gun was it? 22, you know, oh. I don't remember. They were, you know, my parents were kind of like hippies, but they, it was like, you know, other kids had them. And, you know, I was like, yeah, when can I get a gun? And I want a 22. <laughs> That was the kind of the way it worked. And I'm actually, you know, now knowing, like, I'm actually really interested in gun safety issues. Uh, I don't really fit, you know, I'm not like, like a, you know, really fanatical anti-gunner, but, you know, I, if I had my own kid living in the same community, I think I'd be more careful. I mean, we have had accidents with kids and guns oh, okay. in that community, but, um, but at the same time, I mean, yeah, I just showed, you know, well, the other funny thing, by the way, about my family that, that, um, I mean, going from being, vegetarians to eating meat when we started realizing that we were going to eat some of the animals we were raising the the rule was you, you, you ate as much of it and use as much of it as you could because uh, my mother really wasn't into raising and we started hunting they had the same rule like if you kill it you have to eat it and i can actually remember my brother and his buddy shooting a robin and i think it was it was with a bb gun not even a regular gun and my mother said, okay, well, you shot that rob and you're going to eat it. And they cooked it up. They sauteed it in a little pan. wasn't much meat, but um, that, was the, that was the rule. Uh, so, you know, that, it, it, it was always like you, you, you couldn't ever shoot something for, just, um, for just, sport. Just for sport, just to shoot it. You, had to, you had to eat it. So there had to be a purpose to it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, do, I do think that, you know, uh, I, I can totally understand why people object to hunting for sport, just for sport. And... Yeah, there's um, yeah, the, the the interesting thing, and and I, I understand the objection of hunting for sport. Um, the the idea of hunting and killing an animal, and then essentially just uh, throwing away the carcass and not keeping any of the meat. Um, I I understand that, but. According to my understanding of of most, I'm not going to say all hunters, but a good majority, um, were raised w with what you just described, with the idea that you 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 hunt and you eat what you hunt. Um, even in the sport hunting community, um, one of the defenses that the the trophy hunters have been using is you know when when we go out to Africa and we and we shoot down. Um, a lion or, or even another type of animal that we as Westerners would completely be objected towards killing like a giraffe um, uh -huh. they turn around and they donate the meat to the local communities in those areas yeah I've actually heard I mean it's been, this is not, uh, something I have less knowledge about but I've heard kind of pro and con things about trophy hunting and uh, it's one of those things where my confirmation biases are definitely leaning one way, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not close-minded toward it. Um, I've heard other arguments that you know, like you know, whatever they contribute, even beyond meat, actually helps conserve the areas, or that having an area that that, that can sustain itself by hunting to a certain degree can um, mean that the area is not going to be developed, which could kill the whole community of animals. So I don't know how much of that is legit logic and not, I can't really comment, but I am aware that there are, there is even for things like trophy hunting, there is another side, 
um, to the, to the argument. And yeah, the, the 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 defenses that I've seen um, that that to me, even though I I am opposed to trophy hunting, another thing I need to mention is the reason I have you on my show today is because I've never hunted. Like, <laughs> I've never hunted in my life. I've never I've shot I've shot guns, um, and um, I have my own my own my own opinions about guns but um i i don't have a problem with with hunting or guns even though i've never hunted and that's why i ha- i wanted to talk to someone who's actually hunted um and kind of bounce back ideas because i think a lot of people that haven't hunted it's easier for them to say something about something that they've never tried or never really looked into and it's it's really easy to want to take the moral high ground in, in any issue and and as as much as as the photo of someone standing over a lion or a giraffe hurts me, because just as a as a as a humanitarian, I don't like the idea of seeing such a beautiful animal being killed. Um, I still, whenever the, the the psychology side of me that that knows that a lot of this stuff that they put on Facebook is really generated to appeal to my emotions, to make me make a rash decision on a social issue without doing any research and that that's it that's that's just what clickbait's all about and they show you a picture of of maybe one of donald trump's kids and they already know that people don't like donald trump and they'll, they'll put uh, a trophy animal and they'll kind of tie in both issues well they know, they know people don't like trump they'll put one of his kids uh trophy hunting boom that people are clicking people are checking people are commenting people are hating without and again I can be opposed to it. I can say, hey, I don't like trophy hunting. I don't like the idea of Trump, and I don't like the idea that his kids were trophy hunting. But um, um, I still believe that I, whenever I catch myself doing that, I really want to step back and really think about, well, what's going on here? And um, I was watching a BBC special with, uh, I believe it was in, I believe it was in Zimbabwe, and it was one of the. One of the officials from Zimbabwe was talking about how he was in charge of um, of the game and life reserve reserves in the area, and how they were allowing trophy hunting. And he was just kind of being attacked on this show on 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 Hard Talk on BBC's Hard Talk, and the uh, the 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 host was saying, "Well, you know, what do you say about this trophy hunting that's going on?" And then he kind of came back and said, "Well, you know." If if I don't allow trophy his 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 argument was if I don't allow trophy hunting, who who else is gonna want to come all the way to my country to visit Zimbabwe? And some people give in. Some tourism is gonna come that way, but it's bringing in not just tourism, but it's bringing in uh, people that have a lot of money that are going to bring money to to their country, which is um. Which which is a which is a which is a country that that right now if if they don't if not it's not like anybody else in the world is going to be giving Zimbabwe any money anytime soon, um, so yeah it, it, the arguments seem pretty legit from my stance anyway. I'll bring up something that's a, a little bit it's related. Um, there's another thing that you know maybe at one time I had a very black and white point of view that's become much less black and white, and uh, you probably remember like. Um, when there were campaigns against fur, and first, frankly, I am the kind of person who will not wear fur personally. Um, but you have these 
um, Inuit communities in places like uh, Alaska and Canada, where that's a traditional way of making a living. And sometimes there's an argument, well, they can do it for their own use, but they shouldn't be doing it for fur. But, you know, these are human beings. You know, they, they don't want to, you know, live this completely traditional lifestyle, just like we don't want to. Um, and a lot of these people are pretty environmentally conscious, a lot of these Inuit. I mean, they're being affected more by climate change than just about anybody. They can see it with their own eyes. But I've read articles about Inuit leaders saying, you know, hey, on one hand, we, you know, we're, you know, we, we really, you know, want to be environmentally conscious. We really want more done about climate change. But some of these environmental groups have just condemned seal hunting like it's this unqualified evil. Um, are really missing, you know, the fact that this is really what we have. This, this is the resources we have. And people down the lower 48, you know, they, they eat beef, they eat chicken, they do all these other things. And why pick on us? Yeah, there's a definitely like a, like a, you know, it's funny that there's there's a lot of identity politics going on in the U.S. right now and, and, and talks about privilege, white privilege, class privilege. People use these things and they kind of throw them out there and they kind of forget that when you start looking at social issues is when a lot of issues of privilege start coming up. And so, as you mentioned right now, you have these Inuit communities who who survive off of seal hunting. Like, they, they, they need seal hunting to for their community to make it because they're out there in, in the middle of... Um, Inuit, a lot of the Inuit are... In America, they're mostly from... They're in Alaska, and also you have a lot of... I know right now there's a thing in Canada, I forget, I think in, okay, yeah, that, that was it. I, I checked this out the other day. In Alaska, in Alaska, the Inuit are totally okay with being called Eskimos. That's, they actually prefer it. They, um, they feel that that's, that's, that, that adequately describes them. In Canada, they prefer Inuit. Um, to avoid... Any of these things, I, I usually just infer, refer to them as the indigenous peoples, just to so so I don't end up in sure, a bad area. The only problem with then is like I um, that that I have friends who are friends who are Tlingit, which are indigenous Alaskans who are not in that ethnic group. So oh, yeah, it's a little tough. But um, but um, anyway, um, I think the the issue is that. It, you kind of think about it, you know, I remember when I was a teenager, it was like this big thing, fur is bad, and, you know, some of my friends had demonstrations in um, downtown Seattle against department stores selling fur, um, but, you know, these were mostly white, middle-class kids, and from the perspective of some of these communities, it's like, even the environmentalists, most of the time, we were never like, well, you shouldn't do it for your own meat, because there's really not much else up there, but... You know, these people are saying, you know, why shouldn't we? These are the resources that are available to us. And we don't, you know, we, we you know, want to follow our traditions, but we don't just want to be um, living this completely traditional lifestyle. I mean, who really does? Um, so who are people in the lower 48 uh, to say that, you know, that our uh, using our own resources is automatically evil? Not saying you can't critique it, but just it it gets to be morally pretty sticky when you really look at it. Yeah, no, I, I think that's what happens a lot with um with different communities. I, I think that's a lot of the divide. That that's that you're making a good point as far as 
how people from inner cities have a have a completely different view of people who live in rural areas of the United States. They're, they're kind of disconnected from that. Yeah, it's easy to judge. And, you know, I, I see it both ways because, you know, I go back home or talk to some of my old friends who were, especially my friends who were more conservative, and, you know, they have all kinds of weird and just wrong stereotypes <laughs> about people living in the city, particularly people of color. Um, but, you know, it, it does work to a certain extent both ways. And one interesting thing, by the way, about my community that you might find find kind of, um, I don't know, just an interesting thing about how these kind of things work. In my experience, I mean, there are a lot of left-wing people in the community I'm from, but there's still kind of like conservative redneck types up there. Uh, and both of those groups are pretty open towards hunting. Um, but... Um, there are two, two kind of interesting conflicts. You have hunters from the city who come up there and to hunt deer. And there's a lot of hostility toward them from both the liberals and the conservatives, not because they're hunting deer, but because they're outsiders. And some of it's just a little bit of, you know, small community xenophobia, but also that a lot of these people don't really know the community. They don't know where houses are. It's, um, not a very built-up island, but, you know, you have a lot of places where it looks like you're in a forest, but actually somebody's house is over there. And oh. I can re I can remember, like, reading, like, excerpts from newspapers from, like, more than 100 years ago from the same community. We're like, well, you know, so-and-so's window was shot out by one of those damn hunters from Seattle. Um, and that kind of stuff is still going on. So it's interesting that, you know, you have a group of people who are open towards hunting, and yet they are actually kind of hostile toward off-island hunters. No, I think I actually saw. Um, I actually saw what, was, what? There's that show on Discovery Channel. Uh huh. I think yeah, Mountain Men. Mountain Men. And, I've heard of it. Yeah. And um, yeah, there was. They had an episode where that one one of the, one of the guys. All these people live in rural areas of the United States, and some of them live in Montana and whatnot. And they have these huge. They have these really large tracts of land that go across um, mountains and into parts of forests. These people have huge properties that they own. Um, so yeah, one of the biggest problems they also had was their hunters themselves, the reason they bought such a large amount of property was to be able to hunt on their own land. And um, because it's such a large, because a lot of the parts of their property sometimes goes up into the mountains, it's not like they can fence it off. So one of the issues they were having was a lot of people would trespass onto their land and, and essentially um, be shooting and hunting on their land. And they, since they also live out in the middle of nowhere and they, they live off of what they hunt to be able to survive, um, they, that was one of the issues that came up too. So it's kind of similar to what you're talking about. And yeah. they, they also mentioned what you said where when you have someone who doesn't know – the area that they're hunting in and they start shooting bullets start flying around these people have kids on their property right so it yeah. can, it can become dangerous to their families as well hey i'm gonna... so yeah so yeah it was it was it was it was a pretty interesting uh, episode anyway about how people would trespass but you you know you were telling me that this is something that you you and your your community experience as well yeah, we experienced that, and apparently, as I said, from old newspapers, it's been going on for like probably more than a century, um, where people come up and um, 
So that's one kind of, I guess, again, when you look at hunting, it's if you looked at hunters as a block of people who were kind of one way, uh, you could have um, different types of hunters that don't agree with each other or have really different perspectives on things. And um, I think especially like, are you hunting within your own community for food or for preservation or for you know, protecting your garden or protecting your animals, or are you coming from another place to hunt? And not saying that either one is a black or white issue, but that those two groups of people can have conflict. And the other thing I think is interesting from a liberal conservative type of view from my community is that um, these days, from what I hear, I mean, I don't go back there too often, but the people who generally do object to hunting these days are often new people. Um, a lot of the new people are wealthy. The islands have gotten a lot more expensive. They're really beautiful and stuff. And they're actually often wealthy people who are, maybe I call them political centrists. I think some of them are socially kind of leaning left, maybe a bit conservative economically, but they, they, uh, they're not reactionaries. But they go up there and it's this kind of thing, well, oh, people are shooting the deer. We should leave the deer alone. And then you've got the, 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 the kind of old type, conservatives and the, you know, generations now of kind of back to the land left-wingers who are going, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. We can't just leave the deer alone. Uh, and so I find that interesting, too, because you have, like, maybe the, 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 the more right-wing part of the community and the more left-wing part of the community kind of united against the more centrist part of the community. So, again, it doesn't fit the stereotype. And you were saying that, um, I, I, because I know earlier in the episode, you mentioned it was it was these islands that were off of Washington State, and I think the sound might have cut out as far as the name of the community. Do you mind yeah. mentioning well, the name I'll, of your community? Or? Yeah, the, the the islands are called the the San Juan Islands. That's San Juan, Spanish name, or huh. Spanish explorer found it. The island is Lopez. Uh, it's the third largest island, and there's also Orcas and San Juan Island. Uh, Orcas and... Island. You're talking about Orcas Island. Oh, yeah, that's well... crazy. No, uh, the reason I'm saying this is I used to be in a band a long time ago, and we went on a West Coast tour, and one of the furthest spots we went was Orcas Island because we were, <laughs> we were contacted by by the local sheriff's daughter, who was a uh -huh. big fan of our show. And, uh -huh. and they invited us out there to play a show. And the local uh -huh. sheriff asked us to, and, well, opened up his home to our, we had a giant RV that we'd travel around. And he, uh -huh. uh, he had an area where you can plug an RV. And he invited us over to his, to his home to, to stay. To, and we actually stayed out there on Orcas Island at the sheriff's house. And I was tripping out because, like, a lot of a lot of my band members, they you know, we smoked weed and all kinds of shit. And I was like, "Hey guys, like, <laughs> while we're staring at the sheriff's house, you guys are gonna have to tone it down a bit." You know? <laughs> that sounds like those islands. In fact, that brings me to a a little story I think is is probably amusing and worth knowing because when we moved up, actually, the the piece of land that I I lived on, my parents still live on. It's a cooperatively owned piece of land. It was bought by a number of families. And this was kind of, I've heard people refer to it as a commune, but it was never a, a, a land co-op. Um, and it's gotten a lot less communal. I mean, now it's like a bunch of neighbors who know each other well. They have meetings and stuff, and land is owned in common. But it's more like a bunch of, you know, it's just a neighborhood, a rural neighborhood. But it was kind of like a, a hippie community. And when we first moved there, we actually had a rule for a while that there were no guns. 
And we rescinded that rule because of the issues I've been talking about. I mean, like, what do you do about your deer if you don't have a gun? Um, but the rule, I think maybe it's to this day, the rule was the people who live there could have guns and on that property, but outsiders are not allowed to bring guns. Of course, if there was, you know, a murder or something, the police would bring guns. But we had cases where, like, actually, we were friends with one of the local police guys, and they used to, like, come, like, social calls or sometimes you just want to talk about an issue with the police, and they would park at the, the foot of our parking lot. They would park, and they would get out and leave the gun locked in their cars. Uh, they actually, they actually like, were, were cool with this idea that they weren't allowed to have guns. I mean, I'm sure if you know, something bad had happened, they, they would have, you know, if they needed a gun, they would have brought it. But yeah. It was one of those funny things. They actually followed the rules. So your, the commune had the rule where anybody that came into the, to the community was not allowed to, and no outsiders were allowed to bring firearms. And the police, yeah. the local police respected that, that rule. And yeah. they, they would actually come in unarmed into your, into your commune. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, a trip. Were, I mean, one of them was just this lady was friends with the cop, and he would, I mean, he's passed away now, I guess I can say this, but, you know, this is an image from when I was growing up. This particular lady used to like to garden in the nude. I mean, it was this kind of hippie place. <laughs> and he would come up there, and he would talk to her about his problems, like with his wife and stuff, and she's gardening away, you know, and they're having this conversation. But his car would be at the parking lot with the gun inside it because he wasn't allowed to bring the gun. So... Funny, funny reality there. But if you've been to Orcas, yeah, you get a you get an f- idea of what it's like. And yeah, Orcas no, is a little, oh, sorry, sorry Orcas is a little bit more a little bit more normal. But other than that, I mean, it's pretty much the same community. Yeah, it was it was it was um, it was pretty cool. I, I, like I said, I, when we went out there, we um we we took the ferry over and and um and I, I wasn't sure at first when we got there. I, I kept asking my our manager, I'm like, we're going to play a show out here. Like <laughs> what's going on. And, um, but yeah, the, the, commu- the community, they're really nice. Uh, we had a good turnout and, and the local sheriff was cool and everyone was, was pretty laid back, a pretty relaxed atmosphere. Um, I got, I got the feeling that it, it was a very tight knit community. Um, you know, there was about, you know, we, whenever we played back then we were a really small band. So we were happy to have either anywhere between, if we had over 50 people show up to a show, we were happy. And um, at Orcas at Orcas Island, I think we had about, I think we had maybe uh, we had we had we hit our number. We we went over 50, almost into 100, and and we we felt it was a pretty good show. And then later they apologized and said, well, you know, there would have been a lot more people, but everybody was at the local football game. And I was like, oh wow, so like, it's a really tight knit community. There was a football game at the same day that we had our show, and. A lot of people went to go support their their local football team. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the, um, that's the, the, the are. And I have to say, I mean, just because I mean, I played in bands when I was a kid and stuff, and and I've had like I've, I had like friends of mine from Seattle have their bands come up and play in those islands, and they often get really good turnouts. I mean, the island I'm from is only two and a half thousand people. I think Orcas is like five thousand, but. You know, bands often get like you know, they'll get like 100, 150 people because there's not much to do. Yeah. And everybody can communicate. Like everybody's gonna know the band's coming. Like, hey, there's a band playing. You know. Yeah. So a lot of people are like, what, what are we gonna do on a Saturday night? Gonna go see a band. Oh no! Like, what, what I was, what I was tripping on is we, we had the reason we went to Orcas Island is because we also had a show lined up in Seattle, and and our our turnout in Seattle fucking sucked. Like we only had like maybe 15 people there. 
But when we went to or- Orcas Island, we had over fifty. So you know, it was actually a good for for a local band. It was we we were we were pretty surprised really. We because we just left. We just um, we played in Seattle first. So when we got to Orcas Island, we were looking at our manager like, "Come on, dude! Like we just played for fifteen people in Seattle. What you're gonna drag us out to the middle of nowhere? What, are we playing for the sheriff now?" What? <laughs> but no, actually, the Orcas Island had a better turnout than Seattle did. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised at all to hear that. Just from you know coming from a musical, somewhat musical background, and just knowing what those communities are like. And there's often these bands. You know, they they get some like decent bands playing up there and. People are amazed, you know, like this community will turn out, you know, um, uh, 10 or 15% of the population will, will go to see a band. And so even if it's a really small population, it ends up being um, uh, a pretty substantial turnout for a small band. So anyway, it gives you an idea of those communities. They're just kind of uh, really um, eccentric little communities. And um, one, one thing I'd like to add, by the way, I, I might have mentioned this before when we were communicating about this, but... Interestingly, the last time I lived in the U.S., I lived in New Mexico, which is, of course, a completely different environment from Washington. And I lived in a little town called Las Vegas. It's obviously not Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. It's, about, it's about an hour uh, north and east of Santa Fe, which is much better now. A little historical town. It had been a Mexican town that got – it was actually the first place the U.S. military really liked. You know, they came in with cannons and was like, well, you better surrender or we're going to blow you away. So they surrendered. Um, and it's still about 80 percent, uh, they use the word Hispanic there. Um, and um, that community is very, very kind of old-fashioned, blue-collar democratic. It's like the old-style um, democratic where you're, you, know, you belong to a union. And um, they're often kind of socially conservative, but they're really, really economically progressive people. And I was there during the Kerry, uh, the, the 2004 election. That was like the bluest town I ever saw just total democratic town but that town also was really like a lot of people hunted and they elk hunted and i don't know much about the situation there but i had co-workers who were definitely not you know they were country people but they were not like you know right-wing types and they were like yeah you know i'm gonna go elk hunting this weekend in the mountains that was normal hmm. so another example where the stereotype doesn't really fit yeah yeah i i think that that was that that's pretty much um what i wanted my listeners to kind of kind of get the idea that um or not not get the idea but kind of i would like i would hope that that people can kind of open their mind to this this idea that um that we i i want people i guess one of the goals and i need to reformat my website but one of my new mission statements or one of my new visions is this idea of prepackaged ideology um this this whole this whole idea that just because i i I lean left or I lean right or just because I identify as a Republican or I identify as a Democrat or I identify as a Green Party supporter or, or an independent. Well, not independent. Independents actually are one of the few people that kind of go all over the place. Um, but just because you identify to be a member of a, a larger political group doesn't necessarily mean that you have to follow what the rest of the group is doing when it goes against what you actually believe in um yeah for for whatever reason you might have your beliefs i i i just i i think that that's kind of dangerous mob mentality this idea that okay because i'm a republican okay well first of all i'm a christian second of all 
um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be pro pro Trump. And then third of all, I, I, I'm afraid about terrorism and I think we should build a big wall. Like, I think when people start prepackaging into these ideas, they, uh, or, or I'm a Democrat, for example, and because I'm a Democrat, I hate hunting and I don't believe in guns. I think we should, you know, stricter gun laws and, and have really strict gun control and we need to get rid of guns altogether. Like, I think that kind of prepackaged thinking, um, I really hope people can kind of challenge that. I really hope that I don't have that many listeners, but my, my one of my main focuses and drives behind the show is, as I was saying to you off air, is my background is in psychology, and I'm so I'm a scientist, you know. So I, I really do adhere to the scientific method. Um, it's not my belief uh, to believe in something would be to 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 have a belief like some people believe in a religion. It has to do with faith. It's not that I have faith in science. It's that as a scientist, I, I look at the scientific method, and there's data. And there's there's actual tangible evidence to show, to show to show fact to show truth, um, and it can be reputed with more facts. That's why that's that's the that's the cool part about science is as discoveries come up, they modify it and they change it and they and they adapt to to continue to be progressive. I, I to for lack of a better word, and I, I think for me. Um, whether you identify as a progressive or a conservative, it's important to be able to adapt to new ideas, even if you don't quote unquote believe in them. If you're presented with evidence that shows otherwise, it's important that you keep an open mind. Otherwise, um, you're you're letting cognitive dissonance just kind of take hold, and you're rejecting evidence just because of your belief. Now, if after you given the evidence, you still want to have your stance it doesn't mean you have to change your stance like if, if you strongly believe that there shouldn't be any guns in america and you believe in strict gun laws because of maybe your own personal experiences then great but if if you're given if you're given statistics about how uh, in america in particular how how guns um actually can be used you know not just for hunting but in self-defense purposes there's a lot of there's a lot of things that kind of fall through where there's a lot of cases where people used guns, elderly people, women used guns to defend themselves where no one got killed, no one got hurt. But as far as preventing a crime, they, they it worked as a deterrent. Um, so I, I can't deny that. Even if I did believe that there shouldn't be guns in America, I can't deny that one. I can't deny that there is evidence to show otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing is, is that, yeah, you don't want to take every bit of evidence that contradicts your point of view, especially if it's an ideological thing where I am progressive, so therefore I believe ABC and reject it. I mean, my point of view, like, for example, on that issue is that um, I, um, you know, statistically look at things and, I, and I'm, I'm pretty statistically convinced that uh, the um, having a gun in your house actually makes you at greater danger of, of gun crime, and the stats back that up pretty clearly. But that doesn't mean that individuals who are, you know, maybe very careful about guns and very knowledgeable about them, uh, that individuals haven't made themselves safer or prevented something worse from happening by having a gun. So that's a little bit of evidence that contradicts my overall point of view, but. It, it isn't. I, I don't think it does. It would do good for me to say that those kind of situations actually never happen. 
Yeah. Uh, because yeah. they do happen. So you have to be you have to be open. And I've I've had a lot of that kind of thought too. And I think that um, I mean, really, to me, progressive should mean that you're open and you're changing, you're progressing. And I'm you know I, I'm happy to identify as a progressive, but I get frustrated when uh, a lot of people in the United States um, are progressive but extremely dogmatic about some issues. And I, um, you know, you probably read some of the stuff I write about health, and, like, there's an idea, for example, a lot of progressives, well, there's one kind of viable healthcare system called single-payer. And as you and I, you know, we live in Japan. It doesn't fit that model very well. And so... You know, hey, this is the same healthcare system that paid 100 percent of the cost of the birth of my kids. Yeah, so see, and you're you're talking, so yeah, they're, they're, the uh, the mic cut off for a sec. He's talking about single payer healthcare, uh, and yeah. how how progressives feel that um that that's that would be the best the best approach towards healthcare system. And, well, um, I didn't even mind the point that it's the best, but like I know people that say it's the only. Oh yeah, I've seen that. So I have I actually have I have a lot of those on my Facebook right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the only so people living in Japan, people living in Germany, people living in the Netherlands, um, people living in Israel, all these countries where the systems, people living in Switzerland, some of the best systems in the world in terms of outcomes, aren't really national healthcare, aren't really good systems because they're not single payer. And to me, that's just like, you know, that's dogma. Yeah. But you know, I guess um, I'm getting to the to the last five minutes of my show, so. <laughs> I think um, I definitely um, maybe I think for de- definitely in, in the future in a future podcast I want to talk to you some more about that and um, and I also want to talk to you about Fukushima because um, sure, I just sure. I just had a long email I'm, I'm going to do a blog post about Fukushima and the whole radiation debacle um, but definitely for my listeners uh, this is Matthew Ward. Um, uh, an ex, like I mentioned in the introduction, he's an expat um, and he lives out here in Japan. Um, I'm an expat as well. I've said that before on the show, but um, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, there's going to be future episodes with Matthew. We're going to be covering issues um, like the ones you just heard about um, being a progressive, uh, healthcare, and uh, maybe even the the whole radiation thing because I think you had some great stuff on that when that we were going over last time yeah it's an interesting issue and another issue where the yeah sometimes the dogma people have and reality doesn't match quite so yeah yeah well again matthew thanks for being on the show um also thank you to my to my listeners thanks for checking out social jello with angelo and um i guess just is there a closing statement you want to make anything you want to say I uh, know, uh, yeah, just, um, again, this is a very interesting issue for me, but i just like to say, yeah, I mean, um, when you look at issues like that, like this, you know, keep in mind that they may not be uh, completely cut and dry, black and white. There may be other sides. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, folks, keep an open mind, um, no matter what your, your politics are or, or identity. Um, it's when we shut down dialogue that we can we can stop progression in its tracks so definitely keep that open thanks for checking out social jello with angelo i will catch you all later peace